I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Well, good morning, Cherry Hills. My name is Kate Downing, and I am so excited and so privileged to get to be here with you guys this morning to worship alongside of you and to open up God's Word with you today. Uh, like I said, my name is Kate, and I get the privilege of serving on staff at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma um, called Battle Creek Church, and there I get to oversee um, girls' ministry within our student ministry across our campuses, our six campuses, and it is the greatest privilege of my life to get to see teenagers we love them, world changers that they are, come to know and begin to walk in a relationship with Jesus. And along with that, I get to help parents and leaders and adults across the board do the very same thing. And it is such a gift to do that as a living, but it is such a sweet gift to get to be here with you. And so I wanna say thank you to Pastor Kurt and Pastor Bronson and the leadership here at Cherry Hills for the opportunity to open up God's word with you guys this morning. Um, like I said, I'm from Oklahoma. Well, I live in Oklahoma, but I am from, there's a difference, you know what I'm saying? I'm from Georgia. So, it, oh, some Georgians. I knew I wasn't alone in here. I love it. Uh, so if you hear some Southern come out in there, okay, that's where that's coming from. I'll probably say y'all. Do y'all say y'all here? Is that a thing in Denver? No? Okay. All right. So much judgment. Please don't hate me for that. Uh, as I said, do y'all say y'all here? Okay, anyway. Um, well, I am excited to be here. Denver's one of my very favorite cities to be in, and so uh, it is such a joy to get to be in this beautiful city with such an amazing uh, church family here today. And if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, you know that we've been in a series in the book of Malachi. I love that your church leadership here desires that you would know the whole counsel of God's Word, meaning that you would study, that you would dig into a book like Malachi, one of the minor prophets, the very last book of the Old Testament, the last time we hear from God before John the Baptist begins to speak and before uh, Christ's arrival happens in the book of Matthew. It is such an incredible book here in Malachi, and so I'm excited to, to jump into this series with you. So before we open up God's Word together, would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather in this place today. God, we do not take it for granted that, that it is a privilege to, to join with you, Lord, to come alongside fellow believers, other people, other people who are, who are deciding or are wanting to grow in their relationship with you. God, we thank you for the gift of a church like Cherry Hills. God, we ask today that we would be faithful to your word. Lord, would you speak to us as we open up your word? God, we know that it is inspired. It is breathed out by you, that it is profitable for our lives. And we thank you, God, for the book of Malachi and all that we have been learning and will learn through it. God, would your Holy Spirit speak today? Father, we give this time to you. It is our, our reasonable act of worship to give up our time, our, our minds, our hearts, our attention. Lord, as worship unto you. Father, would you be pleased? God, would you be worshiped? It is in your powerful and your good name, Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Well, if you have been with us in this series on Malachi, uh, you know that a couple weeks ago, Pastor Bronson kicked off this series, teaching us a, a little bit about the history behind the book of Malachi, that it is written to the people of Israel, and it is written through the mouthpiece of a guy uh, called the messenger. That's what the word Malachi is translated uh, into, is the messenger. And I love the book of Malachi because it is a lot like having a conversation with a teenage girl which I do a lot, okay, it's part of my job. Uh, if you ever had a conversation with a teenage girl, you know it's a lot like watching a ping pong match, but only in her mind. <laughs> There's a lot of, well, she said, and then I was like, no way, and then she was like, yeah, and then I was like, uh, no way, and then she was like, uh-huh, and then I was like, absolutely not, and, then it, and you're just like, uh-huh, and you're just trying, who said, and then what happened? And it's like you're drawing a map in your mind, you're trying to remember all the things, okay? That's kind of like reading the book of Malachi because it is this disputation between the people of Israel asking God these questions and God answering them through Malachi, through his messenger. And it's this back and forth of the people of Israel asking God questions and God answering them. And I love what we have been learning and I love what we get to see in the book of Malachi because not only are we getting to see this back and forth of the people of Israel and God, but we are beginning to see the character of God displayed in his willingness to talk with, to answer, to meet with his people. There are so many cool and exciting parts of God's character that we get to see through this book. But as we dive into God's word today, I want to remind us of one of the questions that we saw be posed to God last week. As Pastor Kurt talked to us about the ending section of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we read this question together, Malachi 2 verse 17. This is what Malachi, the, the messenger, says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Anybody been wearied by the words of someone? <laughs> Very likely your toddler who's asking you a thousand questions that are all basically just why. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? More words. By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? See, the people of Israel at this time were crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? Where is your justice? The people of Israel had, had years before this had been taken into captivity into, into Babylon, and Babylon had even been taken into captivity by the Medes and the Persians, and, and King Cyrus had sent the people of Israel back into their land, back into Israel, back into Jerusalem, and the people had begun to rebuild what they once had. They had rebuilt the temple. They were rebuilding their homes. They were rebuilding the wall around the city, but what they were experiencing in the midst of that attempt to rebuild their lives was a lot of hopelessness and a lot of confusion and a lot of hard work without a lot of reward because they were still under the rule of, of, of the Persian government. They still were under suppression. They still were under oppression. They, they were crying out to God and saying, God, where is your justice? Where are you in this, God? But what's so incredible we, we looked at last week is that God responded to the people of Israel and he said, I will enact justice on those who have wronged you. I will bring freedom to the captives. I, I will bring justice. But as we continue to read today in the next couple of verses in, in Malachi chapter 3, we get to see the second half of his response to the people of Israel. And Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 is where we're going to camp out today in, in 6 and 7. 
And really, verse 6 is probably the most popular verse in the book of Malachi. If, if you have heard of a verse in the book of Malachi, you have likely heard of verse 6. It's the one that we put on like inspirational posters and our Instagram bios, and we cross-stitch on pillows, okay? Because it's, it's kind of encouraging. It's a great verse. He says this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For or because I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? This answer that, the, that God is giving to the people of Israel, what it gives us here is three very specific explanations of the aspects of God's character we get to see some really specific parts and pieces of who God is described and defined in these two simple verses. The first aspect of God's character that we see here in, in verse six it is plain and simple. It's for because I, the Lord, do not change. That the first characteristic of God that we see here is that God does not change. He is unmoving. He is unshaken by the circumstances and the emotions of our world and our lives. That God is a God of his promises, that God is a God who is immutable is the big word for it. It means that he just does not change. For the people of Israel, they were in a season of uncertainty. They were in like a decade of uncertainty. There was so much uncertainty about their, their futures, about tomorrow, their, any kind of crops that they could grow were being ravaged by locusts. The, they were under the, the rule and, and supremacy of the Persian government and they had no freedom. And they were crying out to God saying, God, everything is shaking underneath of us. God, where is your justice? And maybe you find yourself in a similar season that the job that you love or you've been relying on is being restructured. Don't you love that word, restructured? Or the relationship that you are counting on to define your future is ending. Or the health of a loved one that you care deeply about is failing and you feel like the, the ground underneath of your feet is crumbling and everything seems uncertain, and you're crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Hear God's response to the people of Israel. He says, oh, I do not change. That truth about who God is is repeated to us in the New Testament. It's not just a promise and a guarantee for the people of Israel, but it is a promise and a guarantee for you and I today, because he says in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That if he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful today. If he is faithful today, he will be faithful tomorrow and next year and 10 years from now. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In James, we hear this, that James said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That means the Father of provision, the Father of knowledge, the Father of vision, every good and perfect gift comes from him with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
Yesterday, I got the chance to take a drive up into the mountains, uh, which is like my favorite thing to do when I come to Denver, is I just like Google somewhere to go, and I drive there, and I hope for the best. And I ended up at a place called Lookout Mountain, which I discovered is there's only one Lookout Mountain. I would have assumed there were more, but I read the signs right. I ended up at Lookout Mountain, also Buffalo Bill's grave. Who knew? I said, a historical monument. What a time I have stumbled upon. But I went up to Lookout Mountain and I, I kind of walked down a trail and I found a rock to sit on and I looked out over the mountains and I won't lie to you, I almost cried. It's so beautiful. Okay, we do not have these in Oklahoma, all right? So hashtag y'all are blessed. Uh, so I looked out over the mountains and it was so beautiful to see. And I sat there for a long time and it was close to evening time and the sun was kind of moving across the sky, getting ready to, to set. And as the sun moved across the sky, it was so incredible to watch the shadows on the mountains shift and change. And it was like I could see mountains I couldn't see before, and, and then others looked like they grew, and some looked like they shrunk, and it was, it was like the whole mountain range was changing as the shadows and the sun ran across it, and it just shifted and changed. It was incredible to see, it was beautiful to see. But here James is saying, hey, our God, is not like the shifting of the shadows that the sun casts on the mountainside. Our God is consistent. Our God is faithful. Our God does not change. He is unmoved by the restructuring of your job. He is unchanged by the ending of a relationship. He is unfazed by the failing of someone's health. He is an unchanging God. He is fully in control at all times. This is the hope that God brought to his people. This is the hope that he brings to us today. That his character, that the foundation of who he is is that he is an unchanging God. As we continue to read in Malachi chapter three, we read this, Malachi three verse six again, it says, for because I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. That phrase have turned aside or from, from the days of our fathers. That's a phrase that's referencing back to a, a thing called the Mosaic Covenant. It was a thing that, that God had established with his people, a covenant that he had established that he said, hey, if you will follow my statutes, my commands, I will bless you and I will keep you and I will allow you to prosper and I will protect you. This covenant was established a thousand years, more than a thousand years before this moment in Malachi. That God said, if you will keep my statutes, I will protect you, I will bless you. And what does Malachi say? O people of Jacob, O people of Israel, you have turned away from my statutes. You have failed to live up to your end of the covenant. And from the days of our fathers, from the very moment that covenant was made, you have consistently chosen your own way. It in fact points back even farther to the Abrahamic covenant that happened hundreds of years before the Mosaic covenant where God said to Abraham, hey Abraham, I'm gonna make a covenant with you not based on what you can do or who you are, but based on my unchanging nature. I make this covenant with you that I will make you a great nation, that I will allow you to prosper, that you will not be consumed. And here Malachi says to the people of Israel, 
Yes, you have been under oppression and yes, your crops are failing and yes, you are crying out for the God of justice. But let me tell you, he is the God of justice, not only against your enemies, but also in your life because you, O Israel, have turned away from God. What we see here displayed in these verses, that the second aspect of God's character we see here is that God is a loving and a just God. He is loving and he is just. Sometimes we, we think those two things are opposites. We think we can't reconcile this idea of a just God and a loving God. It's hard for us to understand those two things. Maybe, maybe you've, you've wrestled with that idea that it seems like the God of the Old Testament is all like punishment and justice and the God of the New Testament is all like love and like Jesus floated like two feet off the ground and you know scattered rose petals wherever he went like we, we think we have these two different gods that we're reading about in scripture but that is a, a, a total misunderstanding of what real love and what real justice is because you see in fact those two things are two sides of the very same coin because if you were to to um fail to punish or fail to correct someone in their sin that is not love that's enablement. And if you choose to punish someone without the foundation of love, that's not justice, that's abuse. You see, justice and love must function together and they are foundational to the character of God, that he is a loving and a just God. And here in these verses, he says to the people of Israel, guys, you have turned away from me and the consequences you are facing are my justice displayed to you. It was a covenant we made thousands of years ago, but you have chosen to turn away from me. And so the, the consequences of your actions is the, the displaying of my justice, but you are not consumed. That is the displaying of my love. A few years ago, my, my best friend uh, called me I was on my way home from work and, uh, and she called me and she said, Kate, I'm in an abusive relationship. And I said, hmm, tell me more. <laughs> I knew her husband, I was like this, I don't know, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah, I'm in an abusive relationship with a three-year-old. <laughs> she said, I have been kicked, I have been scratched, I have been bitten, I have been disrespected all day and I am over it, I am done. Maybe those of you with kids, you have felt that feeling of, I do not get paid enough for the disrespect I am facing day after day around here. And that is literally the, the, the feeling, the emotion that God is displaying to these people. He is saying, hey, you have disrespected me. Hey, you have failed to live up to your end of our covenant. But as I talked to my friend, she she vented her feelings to me and then she explains how they had talked with their daughter and she'd gone to time out and there were some consequences to her actions. But you know what she never said? She never said she kicked her daughter out of the house or disowned her or said, I'm done with you. Why? Because she loved her, because she was her daughter, because she chose to say, despite the disrespect, I will show you love, I will show you compassion, I will show you forgiveness. That's exactly what God is doing here with the people of Israel. He is saying to them, my justice is seen in the consequences of your sin, but my love is displayed in that you are not consumed. 
We are told in Romans chapter two, this incredible, uh, this incredible idea of God's long suffering, of God's patience, of God's compassion. And the reason why he shows that to us says this in Romans two verse four. Paul is speaking here to, to the church in Rome and he's saying, do you show contempt for the riches of his God's kindness? forbearance, his long suffering, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness, his loving kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That the purpose behind God's loving kindness, his patience with you, his grace towards you is that you would be led to repentance. We see that here as, as the next and the last aspect of God's character we see displayed in these verses. It's displayed in verse seven. Malachi 3, seven says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. But the beauty of who God is, is that he didn't stop there. The verse goes on to say, return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. That word return there, it, it means to turn away. It's like you're walking in this direction and you choose to now turn and walk in another direction. To return means to turn away from something and toward something else. Here God says, return to me and I will meet you. This idea of returning, it's, it's this picture of a 180 degree turn. It is literally the picture for repentance. The very thing that God's loving kindness is designed to draw us toward what we see about the character of God here in Malachi 3, 7 is that God desires repentance that that is the longing of his heart. He is a unchanging God. He is a loving and just God. And he is a God who desires, he longs for his people to repent of their sin. Repent means this, the word repent means a complete change of orientation involving judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. A judgment upon the sin of the past and a deliberate and intentional redirection for the future. It is God's desire that we would recognize and repent of the sin in our lives and turn toward the God who offers us restoration. Because you see, as God said to the people of Israel here, he said, return to me, repent, and I will meet you. I will return to you. I will restore you into a relationship with me. This idea of repentance and restoration, I don't think is ever more beautifully pictured than in a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me. It'll be on the screens as well. But Luke chapter 15, we read this story that Jesus is, is telling to his disciples and to his followers and to, to those who are questioning who he is and to those who are completely doubting who he is. He's sharing this story with them in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. The story says this, and he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. 
pause here for a second. Let's understand the, the, the gravity of the statement that this younger son says to his father. The gravity, the context that the people listening to Jesus would have understood easily in this moment is that when this son said this to his father, what he was saying to his father is, hey dad, I know that when you die, I'm gonna get your money. And it would actually, I would prefer for you to die right now so I could just get your money because I want your money more than I want you. And so since you're not dying anytime soon, apparently, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just take what is mine. So go ahead and give me my inheritance and I'm gonna get out of here. Can you imagine having someone that you love, that you care about your child, say something like that to you? It goes on in the story, Jesus explains that this is the father's response. It says, and he divided his property between them, between his two sons, the father divided his property. In thir verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, including his inheritance, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing, he was desperate to be fed with the pods or the slop that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. What is so mind-blowing about this story, what, what would have been absolutely just mind-boggling to the people listening to this story is that the son said to the father, dad, it would be better for you to be dead. I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. And that's exactly what the people of Israel had said to God. They said, God, we want your justice. God, we want your protection. God, we want your blessing. But we don't want the, the things that are required to be in a relationship with you. God, we, wanna, we want your protection and, and your blessing, but we wanna be able to marry who we wanna marry. And God, we want your blessing and your provision, but we don't wanna be told what to do with the money you provide for us. We wanna be able to do our own thing. They said, God, we want what you can give us, but we don't want you. And truthfully, if we're honest with ourselves, we have all had that very same mentality toward God. At one time or another in our lives, we have said, God, we want the blessing that you give us. God, we, we want the protection. God, we want the provision. God, we want the good stuff you have for us, but we don't want the responsibility of walking with you. God, we don't really want you. We want what you can give us. And here, the prodigal son, this, this son realizes that he is in the, the pigsty, that he is desperate to eat the slop of the pigs. The people of Israel are desperate for God's presence. They are desperate for God's justice because saying, God, I want what you can give me, but not you will always lead us into destitution. It will always lead us into brokenness. It will always lead us into hopelessness. And here, the prodigal son finds himself in the most hopeless of circumstances, having said, Dad, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. And here in his hopelessness, verse 17, we read this. Luke 15, 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The crazy part of this story is that it all hinges on the very first phrase we read there in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself. That phrase in Hebrew is a phrase that that means repentance. When the son recognized he made a judgment call on the sin of his past, and he recognized that it would be better for him to return to his father, it's in that moment that repentance takes place. And he then picks himself up and turns back to his father. And this is how the father responds. Now hear me when I say this. The people who were listening to Jesus tell this story, they would have thought, oh wow, Like, that's just a beautiful story. But it would have been wild for them for this story to have ended with the father saying to the son, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're the worst. But you can live in that corner right over there in the very far back, and I'll give you the scraps of what other people don't eat. Um, That's fine. That would have been mind-boggling to the people listening to the story. They would have thought, oh my gosh, the grace of that father. To have even spoken to a son who had disowned his father, who had said, I would rather you be dead, dad, than have a relationship with you. It would have been an incredible act of grace if this father had treated that son like a servant in his house. It would have been incredible. Yet this is how the father responds. Verse 20, it says, And he, the son, arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Later on, we read that the father says, my son has returned. The one who was once dead is now alive again. For the hearers of this story, it would have been incredible to hear that a a father who had been disowned would welcome his son back into a family. It would have been even more mind-boggling to think that a Hebrew man would run. That culturally would not have happened. That would have been below his status to run to meet someone. But understand that that is exactly the promise that God makes to the people of Israel in Malachi chapter three, when he says, if you will repent, If you will return to me, I will meet you. I will run to you, I will meet you, and I will restore you into the relationship with me that I designed you for in the first place. God desires repentance. He didn't just desire repentance for the people of Malachi or the people of Israel in the book of Malachi. And he didn't just desire repentance for the, the listeners of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. God desires repentance for you and I. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read this, that, that it says that God desires that none should perish, meaning that no one should spend eternity in hell apart from him. His heart's desire, his longing is that all, everyone 
would come to know him, would repent of their sin. He says that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he made a way for that to happen through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Fully God who became fully man to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for the sins that you and I owed. But not to stay dead, but to raise from the dead three days later, defeating death and shame and fear and guilt and all the things that hold us captive. God made a way for us to return. He made a way for us to repent of our sins and be restored back into a right relationship with him. And he did it through his son's death on the cross and his resurrection. You see, God desires repentance. He desires repentance for the people of Israel. He desired repentance for the people listening in Luke chapter 15, and he desires it for you and I today. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I, I wanna give you a moment just to yourself between you and God to examine your heart. Say, God, is there any sin in my past or sin in my present? Sin is anything that we think, we say, or we do that disobeys or dishonors God. God, is there any way or part of my life that I've said, God, I want your blessing, but I don't want your presence. God, I want what you can do for me, but I don't want the requirement of following you. Is there any aspect of your life that you, like the prodigal son, have walked away from God? That you, like the people of Israel, have cried out for God to do something for you, but you have not been willing to surrender your life to him in the first place? See, there's two types of repentance talked about in God's word. The first one is repentance unto salvation. In, uh, in Acts, Peter is asked, one of Jesus' disciples, he's asked, how can I be saved? How can I be forgiven of my sins? How can I not spend eternity in hell, but instead eternity in the presence of God? How can I be saved? And Peter says this, he says, repent and turn to God and you will be saved. Repentance unto salvation is simply admitting that you are a sinner, that there is sin in your life that you cannot earn your way out of, but putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sins and mine, who paid the penalty of sin that we owed and rose from the grave three days later, that by simply recognizing our sin and putting our faith in Christ, repenting and turning to God, we can be saved. If you have never repented unto salvation, you've never made that one time decision, that life altering, identity changing, eternity changing decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that today can be the day of decision for you. The day that your eternity is changed, that your identity is changed, that your sins are forgiven. And it is as simple as this, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do for you, that he offers you forgiveness of your sins and new life in Christ through repentance and turning to God. And if today you wanna make that decision to repent unto salvation, to accept Christ as your savior, would you pray this prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or, or quietly in your own heart. There's nothing magical about the words, but what is important is the, the posture of your heart, putting your faith in Jesus. Pray this prayer with me if you would like to, dear Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that there is nothing I can do to earn your forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave 
God, I repent of my sins. In the best way that I know how, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Today, if you've prayed that prayer and meant it with your whole heart, let me ask that you would do something for us at the close of our service. Would you meet us over at the trailhead? Would you take a moment to share the good news of your faith in Jesus? And we would love to celebrate with you, to pray for you, to help you know what it looks like to walk in a relationship with Jesus. But for those of you in the room today who have made that decision in the past, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have repented unto salvation. Let me tell you or read you a quote that I read this week that I thought is so powerful. It says this, that the evidence that you have truly repented unto salvation is that you are still repenting today and growing in repentance. You see the second part of repentance that's talked about in God's word, there's repentance of the salvation and then there's repentance unto sanctification. That means repentance along the way as we journey to look more like Christ, as we journey through our lives and we pick up old habits and we pick up old sins, that we would repent of them, that we would make a judgment call on them and we would turn back toward God. Repentance unto sanctification. Repentance unto a growing relationship with Jesus is evidence of a relationship with Christ. It is God's desire for you. So Cherry Hills, would we be a church? Would we be individuals, parts of the body of Christ who are faithful to the call of repentance? Would we recognize the sin in our lives, the things that we think we say and we do that disobey and dishonor God? Would we recognize them? Would we confess them to the Lord? That simply means to agree. To say, God, I already know that you know that I struggle with this. God, I just confess this to you. And God, would you help me walk in a new direction? What actions, what attitudes, what relationships, what patterns and habits need to change in your life as you practice repentance? Would repentance be something you model for your kids? Would repentance be something you model for your spouse? Would it be something you model for your coworkers? Would repentance be a part of your life because it is something that God desires for you and it is the very way in which we come into a relationship with God in the first place and the way in which we return like the prodigal son back into a right, whole, redeemed relationship with God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the gift of the hope in Christ that comes with repenting. God, that comes with turning to you. Lord, for anyone in this room today that made that decision to give their lives to you, to surrender their heart and life to you, to repent unto salvation. Lord, I praise your name for that victory. God, I praise your name that their eternity is changed. God, I praise your name that their identity is changed. They are no longer defined or determined or held captive to the sin of their past, that they are made a new creation in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for those of us in the room today that have made that decision, that are new creations in Christ, but Lord, need to grow in what it looks like to practice repentance on a daily basis. Father, would you help us to be faithful, to fulfill the desire of your heart. 
God, that we would make judgment calls on the sin of our past and the sin of our present, that we would not hide it under a rug or try to ignore it or try to to explain it away, but God, that we would be open and honest, God, that we would confess our sin before you and that we would make a 180 degree turn, that our habits, our actions, our words, our relationships would change. God, so that we might walk in a healthy and whole relationship with you. God, would you teach us this practice of repentance? Would you help us to walk in it, to model it? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege it is to know you and to walk with you. It's in your powerful and your good name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.